Hey guys, welcome to this week's edition of At Large Bid here on the 48 Minutes Basketball Network. Um, so we have a really cool guest today. Uh, NBA draft hopeful Sean McNeil is going to be joining us. As we know, he just played in the tournament for West Virginia. Um, and we we're really excited to just kind of have him on and kind of talk about everything going on in the world of college sports and get his thoughts and everything. But then, Taylor, things got wild on April Fool's Day. It did. I wish it was a joke. I know. So I get a, I get a push notification on Twitter this morning at like, pretty early that Roy Williams is retiring from North Carolina. And I text you thinking like, if anyone's going to know that this was coming, it'd be Taylor. And you didn't know either. And, you know, we've had multiple times on the show. Where we've talked about like when the eventual day comes that Roy Williams is not the coach in North Carolina, what do they do? And when we talked about that, we never thought it would be um, the beginning of the 2021, 22 season. Right. I mean, yeah, like you said, kind of sitting in my office today and, um, I'm on Twitter and I see Carolina basketball is like, you know, like, thank you, coach Williams announces he's retiring. And it said like link and it had like the like link to the article. And I'm thinking like, Oh yeah, great. I'm going to click April it. Fools, like, April Fools. Yeah. I opened it up and I'm like scrolling through it. I'm like, damn, it's like highlighting his accolades and talking about this and talking about that. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't really seem. So I scroll to the bottom immediately. I'm like, all right, where's the joke? I click out of it. And I see like Matt Orlander, John Rothstein, a bunch of other people just saying like, like Roy Williams retiring. And then my like trusted source on all Carolina news, um, Sherelle McMillan, He's a great follower if you're into Carolina. Um, he's like the main writer on Inside Carolina. He does. Um, he's pretty much my, like my go-to guy for everything. He like he tweeted. He's like, it's real. I thought it's real. And like just instantly, I was like, Jesus. Like it was. Uh, I mean, it's one of those gut-punching things. Um, you know, obviously, like Carolina basketball has been my my favorite thing in life since God 2002, 2003 when Roy came home is really when I like first started like liking him. Um, yeah, I mean, just absolute crazy, like a whirlwind of emotions. I mean, it was sad for him. Um, you know, obviously didn't go out the way he really wanted it to. Um, but, you know, looking forward, it's one of those things that, like, like I don't think people realize, like, the stretch Carolina had when Roy came back in 2003. Um, offered the job in 2002 before they gave it to Matt Doherty. Um, he, he was at Kansas. He declined it, wanted to stay there with Nick Collison, Kirk Heinrich. Um, that group, Rafe friends, all them wanted to stay there and t- promised them that he'd be there for their four years. Um, Matt Doherty comes to Carolina, has a terrible two or three years, I mean, eight and 20 season, pretty bad. There's going to be a mass exodus under Doherty, even though it's his recruits, they were all going to leave if he wasn't fired, if he was brought back. And that's the McCants, May, Felton class um, that, you know, ended up being the 2005 national championship team. So Roy comes back. It's, uh, you know, immediate success. And the first year is pretty average, below average, you know, the, just kind of rebuilding with the roster, gets a couple key pieces like Sean May, Marvin Williams, uh, wins a 2005 title in his second year, 2009 wins the national title, 2017 wins the national title, 2016 plays in the, the national championship game. Um, I mean, that stretch where Carolina, you know, we, that stretch for Carolina basketball is, you know, since 2000, 2005 is, I mean, pretty undefeated. It's pretty good. He's done, you know, came back to his favorite place. He's North Carolina grad, coached under Dean Smith there. And the guy's been a coach for, 33 36 years 33 34 years you know 15 years at kansas 18 to carolina like just an unbelievable career obviously a hall of famer back in 2007 um but yeah just i mean i mean not to i could go on for hours about this i mean it's my it's my favorite thing but just pretty mind-blowing most ncaa tournament wins since 2000 roy williams 59 coach k 50 tom Izzo 48 bill self 47 calipari 45 um as for what's next, I mean, that's kind of the thing everybody's looking for now. Obviously, if, if you don't follow North Carolina, um, yeah, as you know, as into it as other people do, it's pretty much an in-family job. When you look at the last couple head coaches, Dean Smith, 
Uh, after he retired, he left a Final Four caliber team with um, Vince Carter, Antoine Jamison, Ed Cota, all those guys in 97 to Bill Guthridge. Bill Guthridge was coached for three or four years, ended up having dementia, leaves after that. They hire Matt Doherty, who was a Carolina assistant, Carolina grad. Um, and then after Matt Doherty, it was Roy Williams. Um, the betting odds, all that kind of stuff, which is hilarious to see when it's your school. Um, has Hubert Davis as the, ne- as the favorite for the next, to be the next head coach at Carolina. Um, Wes Miller, who was on the 2009 team, he's the head coach at UNC Greensboro. And then Jerry Stackhouse, who's at Vanderbilt, um, who's Vanderbilt coach, who's having a kind of rough start to his coaching career there, first two years. Um, all signs point to Hubert, you know, been an assistant for seven years, brought over from ESPN, guy that, you know, played 14 years in the NBA, played under Dean Smith, played under Pat Riley, you know, a good coaching like mold. Um, the, the whole not having any coaching experience doesn't really bother me. Look at Jawan Howard this year. Right. Um, and I feel like, and he has coaching experience being on the roster with Roy for the last seven years. It's one of those things that, you know, we've, I've talked about it all on all season with you. The, the lack of adapting what Carolina has done this year is what was really worrisome. Still wanting to play two bigs, still not defending the three-point line, not really develop, developing a four-out one in offense, spacing. You know, all, we're running an offense that was popular in 2006 to 2010. You know, it's 2021. And I think, um, you know, getting back to, you know, obviously there's going to be a little Roy Williams and whoever the next coach is going to be. You know, there'll be some things that Roy did great. But also you need to, the next coach needs to adapt and do his own thing. And I think if Hubert obviously takes over, you know, he's going to have to replace Roy on the staff. And then Steve Robinson, who's Roy's right-hand man, is probably going to retire as well. So that's two or three spots that will be open. I'd love to see Kendall Marshall get a crack at the rotation, um, you know, and then maybe bring in Rasheed Wallace or Vince Carter um, to help kind of further that NBA presence on the roster. But I'm very excited. I think we'll know um, within a week or two. But my biggest concern is I don't care to stay within the family. I just hope that we – go outside the box first. So I hope you go to Jay Wright. I hope you go to Billy Donovan. I hope you go to Brad Stevens, even though Brad Stevens isn't coming, but with the North Carolina job, it's a top three job in college basketball. Like I'd argue number one, but uh, that's just me, but I'd love for them to go to Jay Wright, offer it and then kind of see where we're at. But what about you? What do you think the the gut reaction? What do you think? I mean, it's not one of those places like, like Texas, obviously we're Indiana where you get outside source names. I think with Carolina, it's that family aspect. So what do you kind of think should happen or what do you suggest or what do you think overall will happen? Well, I texted you earlier and I said, why don't they just throw every piece of cash they possibly can at Jay Wright? Because if you went at Villanova, you're a great coach. If you went to North Carolina, you're a God. And so like, and Jay has done, I mean, I don't know if there's anything more Jay Wright could have possibly done at Villanova at this point. He's just there. Cause he loves it. I mean, he's gotten right. multiple chances to coach the Sixers. Yeah. Like, um, so it's not like he hasn't been, uh, you know, ap- approached or tried to be recruited before by any means. Um, so, yeah, I thought I think Jay at North Carolina would be awesome. Um, I think it's a really awesome fit. I think of just how good of a coach he is. He's just so good at adapting to modern basketball, like on a game by game basis. Right. Um, but yeah, Hugh Davis was definitely the first guy I thought of um, after Jay Wright. And all the points you mentioned played in the NBA. You know, as a former analyst, so like kids who were coming up, they're going to remember seeing him in college game day. It's not like a thing where it's like this guy used to be famous. Like, yeah, it was the know. college game day when it was awesome. It was uh, yeah. Digger, Jay and uh, Hubert you know, and mm-hmm. Reese Davis, whatever. But yeah, no, I mean, it's one of those things that like I have a couple buddies that move in Texan and they're like, you know, don't hope it's not Hubert, hope it's not Hubert. And I'm, I'm a quick to judge. I mean, it, at worst case scenario, if it's Hubert, it's a bad two or three years. The only thing that's hard about hiring from within it makes it 10 times harder to fire when they're within. Cause yeah. you always want to be like, I'll just give them a chance and just give them a chance. And it's just, 
it's a surreal day. I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on it. Um, I mean, I mean, I think it's a big enough deal where we can. I just hate always like talking about my team, but obviously, you know, it's the biggest news. Um, I watched the Roy's presser today at four o'clock and it just uh, pretty devastating to watch a guy that, you know, just loves the university, loves his team, loves the school. And the line that he kept going back to is that he felt like, you know, four years ago, Carolina wins it all in 2017 in Phoenix to beat Gonzaga. Um, year after that, we're a two seed. We lose to Texas A&M the second round. The year after that, we're one seed. We lose to Auburn in the Sweet 16. Um, last year, there was not going to be a tournament. We weren't going to make the or last year. There was no tournament. We were not making the tournament. Um, injuries, roster turnover, kind of just a bad mix of a year. This year, he just kept stating that he never really got the fullest out of his team, and that's on him. And that, like, he – the line that he said, which is kind of, like, gut-wrenching to hear, is was, like, he think he didn't think he was the man for the job anymore, which is, like, pretty wild to hear a guy with yeah. all the accomplishments he has, 900-plus wins, three national championships, all at one school. Um, yeah, just said he wasn't the guy for the job anymore. I mean, he's 70 years old. You know, think about your parents, think about your you know, grandparents around that age. Like, that's, I mean, do you really think that, part, like, your grandparents could run a Division One program, let alone do everything that he's done for them, travel across the country, watch these high school kids play, like, all that. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sad. It's one of those things that it, it'll be, it'll kind of take hit me a while. There, there is some excitement to, to figuring out who the coach may be, the rumors and all that stuff. I mean, it's a pretty big job. Like, it's going to be the, one of the biggest ones open in a while. It's just one of those things that's a gut punch. Um, I'm happy for, you know, Coach Williams was awesome. I've met him multiple times. Awesome guy. Always great to the fans. Seems like his players really love him. He's got that love and devotion with his kids. Um, just, I think the transfers, I think the one and dones, I think college basketball is evolving how it is. I think for older coaches, they don't like this roster turnover. They like developing kids and they like the relationships. Yeah. I just think that, you know, he's 70, wants to live his life with his kids, his grandkids, his wife, like play golf every day. He, he deserves that. Three, like, I said this to everybody, you know, and they asked me, when do you think Roy's retiring? When do you think he's leaving? I said, when he wants to, he's won three titles at Carolina. What, who am I to say when he should leave? I don't care. Like if he wants to, you know, ride it out like a Bayheim and have a couple crappy last couple of years, like by all means do it. And he did. And he thinks he's not the man for the job. That takes some, takes some stones to go up there and say what he did. You know, and some people will call him out, think he's being overdramatic and stuff. But like, I, the way I look at it is I just don't think he truly wants to coach anymore and he wants to spend family and, the, the line that really got me is he was talking about Bubba Cunningham, who's the, the AD came from Notre Dame. And he said, I have, he's like, I've got my, my, my wishes for where the program should go. And he's talked to Bubba. And there's like that part of me that wants Bubba to be like, Hey, I'm the athletic director for North Carolina. I'm not the athletic director for Roy Williams. Right. And also part of me is like, yeah, dude, Roy is North Carolina basketball. So like, if that's who he wants, like I, I'm here for it. The only thing I'll be concerned about is, you know, you say roster turnover, but if Hubert's the coach, you know, every kid that's coming back on the staff, they've already had Hubert as a coach. So why wouldn't they stay? So it's one of those right. things that where there's some good in that. It's just, we'll have to see. I ultimately think it'll be Hubert Davis, but man, if we got Jay Wright, that would be just unreal. I would kill for it. <laughs> kill for it. I think I would too, for different yeah. reasons. <laughs> yeah. Right. So yeah. there wasn't, there was another coaching, um, coaching change today. Um, mm -hmm. The other job that was open, I mean, obviously Indiana hired Mike Woodson, which we haven't really spent too much time talking about it, but I don't care. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a guy, I think Indiana's trying to pull, pull some strings, like a bring back a, a IU guy. What we'll to see if he hires, like, I always think head coach can be one thing, but if you hire, you surround yourself with the right assistants, they'll do fine. Like yeah. if he were to steal Dan Fife, who's a former IU player from Michigan state's staff, I feel like that'd be a really good move, but um, we'll have to see. But other, the last move that broke today as well is, um, Texas found their guy, wasn't too far away. 
got yeah, Chris Beard. Staying in conference. Tech. Yeah, which is one of those things that, like, if you're a Tech fan, you, 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 I mean, whatever, right? It's just the way it goes. Texas can throw the bag at them. Yeah. Beard's got way more better facilities, way more better, you know, recruiting aspect of it. And Nike yeah, versus Under Armour. I think he's going to kill it at Texas. I think, I think, I think they found their incredible. guy. I think they found their guy for a while. So. Yeah, he's going to be terrific there. Yep. Um, I guess like the, what I'm reading more and more is I guess like the writing was on the wall for the end of Shaka Smart there. Oh yeah, no, no, no. That was that was a hey, rather than you getting fired and not being able to coach for three or four years, if an offer were to pop up for you, I think you should take it. And he took it, and then oh well, Texas came open. I think it was a mutual thing, and I, I like when schools do that. I don't think you need I do to too. Air, air yeah, all respect. That out. So yeah, we don't need dirty laundry. Yeah, I think Shaka Marquette fits. I think that's a school where he can do better. I don't think he needs to be in the Big 12 and, you know. Oh, he'll be one of the best Big uh, Big East coaches, without yeah. a doubt. He'll be terrific. Um, but, yeah, so, like, you mentioned Chris Beard and all the things you said, I'm just going to kind of echo. I mean, he's terrific. He's obviously a great coach. He's coached in a national championship. Mm-hmm. Um, he convinced the NBA to take Jared Culver in the top five, which if you watch NBA Jared Culver, it's a miracle. It's a miracle because he's lost. A yeah. lot of times. Do you remember when people used to say like all the time that they would take Jared Culver over RJ Barrett? Do you remember yeah, that? That was tough. It's a tough <laughs> yeah. argument. That's a bad take. And that take just looks even worse by the day. Um, but yeah, man. So I think he's going to be awesome. There. Like you said, he's, he's a terrific coach. Like I, I really like coaches that adapt and make changes. And like, I don't think that was, I'm not saying this is a bad thing about Roy per se, like you mentioned earlier, but like, I think Roy liked basketball the way it was when he was super successful. And there's not a bad thing to that. Like you see it all the time. Um, you know, I think like you're seeing Jim Harbaugh right now in Michigan. He can't adapt to shit. And we say how bad their football team is. Hashtag right. basketball school. Yeah. It just, I mean, right. It's one of those things that like every frustration I had with the year and stuff. And it's like, wow, I wish we would adapt. I wish we'd play four out, one in, like all that stuff. It's just like, I'm getting it now. And I am excited. Like, it's just like, I'm kind of like just at a loss for words with it, really. I mean, I know I went five yeah. minutes by myself talking, but it's just... Um, I would rather you talk about that, though, because you're more emotionally invested than I am, probably. Yeah, it's and- it's wild. I mean, it, like I was telling my fiance about it, it, it's it's that's Carolina basketball to me. Ever since I was little, it's been Roy Williams. I mean, look, yeah. three the, the bottom three banners there, you know, 2005, 9, and 17 are all pivotal years. I remember watching the games, being a fan. Like, I've got every championship shirt, and like... It's I've been to games at Chapel Hill and it's now it's crazy. Like it's Dean, it's the Dean Smith Center at the Roy Williams Court. Like it's dope now. And like, you know, whenever if I have kids down the road, like I now see like that part of life is hitting me now where I'm like, I remember my dad was telling me about like Patino and stuff at Kentucky. And I was like, I was born in 94. So I'm a little like I yeah. remember the ending years of Patino, but when he went to Boston, I was like four, like four or five. Like, so I'm not gonna remember that. Like I remember Tubby Smith and then Gillespie and then Cal. And then like now it's like my kids will never know what Roy Williams was like which is dope like they can go back and watch it and stuff and I can explain but like I see the like people before me with Dean like I remember the last couple years of Dean and I remember Bill Guthridge and I remember Matt Doherty and I remember Roy Williams so now now like I will have Roy Williams to whoever down the line like I'll have that guy as my coach forever so it's kind of dope yeah and you're also at that point too um I know we mentioned that this was about Chris Beard and we'll get back to that obviously but you're also at the point now where like like you said, like all these memories you have, like if you had to sit down and pick your top 30 North Carolina wins in the Roy Williams era, you would probably take six hours to sit all that and write yeah. all that down. Like it would take you so long to like figure this out one by one. Right. So, you know, that's pretty cool. You have those moments for me. It's uh, the Luke May shot over Kentucky, but that's neither here nor there. Um, awesome. Unreal. Yeah. I mean, that year was, that was, I mean, you're right. I mean, for the bad as the last two years have been, and this year was bad for everybody. I mean, the way I look at it is, yeah, 
I mean, we just didn't click. And, it, you know, it could have been a roster turnover, could have been locker room turmoil, anything you want. Two years ago, bad with injuries. But the year before that, we played in the national title game and lost, won the national title the next year, and when there was a one, then it was a one seed. Like, I, I'll take that run every day of the week. Yeah, every, so, everybody would. Yeah. We and won a title thing. four years ago. Four years ago. And here's the other yeah. thing, too. Like, if your favorite program, that's you know, not you particularly, your favorite program, that coach is definitely wants that North Carolina job. Yeah. That, you're not safe. You're not <laughs> yeah. safe. If yeah. we come calling, like if it's open, it's open. But yeah, and Roy went out beating Duke two and zero this year. Take it. It's six and two against Duke's last eight games. It's my guy. Yeah. So back to Chris Beard. I think for me, um, you know, he's just such a smart basketball coach. I mean, he made Mac McClung look really good at college basketball. Is uh, Mac gonna follow him? That's a good point. Didn't think about that. Yeah. I mean, if you're a Texas Tech commit, you just commit to Texas. Yeah. Who cares? I haven't seen the recruiting class. So I don't know what it looks like. They lost Tamar Bates. It's a good left-handed scorer, but we'll have to see. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, so I think Beard's going to be awesome there. Um, and I think like the success rate that we saw at Texas Tech, it reminds me of Calipari going from Memphis to Kentucky, where it's like, he made a national title game. He got great players. He put guys in the NBA. Well, now he has even more benefits and tools to do that and make that bigger and better and better. You know, like Calipari went from Derrick Rose to like, Tyreek Evans to like John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins. We know the whole list. And this is kind of a situation where I'm not to that level, obviously, because Chris, because, you know, there's a difference between Kentucky basketball and Texas basketball. Texas is obviously better after this year. Um, but you just kind of see right. like, it's just, it's going to make that jump. It's going to have that gap for him. And I think it's great. I also love the idea that he's going to a big 12 school still. I love that. It's going to be like a thing where like he goes to Texas tech and he goes to Lubbock and they're going to hate the hell out of him, And he's going to love beating them. And he's yeah. like, when he does beat them, he's going to be like, cross his arms and be like, gotcha. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I mean, it happens more often than you think, but it's one of those things that, yeah. yeah just, I think didn't Dan Mullen leave Mississippi state for Florida. Mm-hmm. I thought that's what it was. definitely. Um, I mean, Kirby Smart was assistant Alabama. I went to Georgia. Um, oh yeah, right. college basketball. What I mean, um, I don't know. Actually, it, it definitely has happened. It's just it's one of those things that's funny to funny to watch. So, yeah, exactly. So yeah, man, a uh, bunch of crazy coaching news. I guess if I want to touch on Mike Woodson real quick, uh, I just don't feel like it's a needle mover. I have a hard time trusting a guy who was 64 years old to be your, your head coach in 2021 as far as your first time head coach. Um, how is he going to like, you know, I know he played, he coached the Knicks for a little while and he worked mm-hmm. for the Knicks for a long time. And they were decent there. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, he also had Carmel Anthony, who's one of the 20 greatest scorers to ever walk on a basketball court. Um, but yeah, man, it's, it's just nuts. So I don't know what he's going to do. I hope he does well. Look, I've had this conversation a million times. I want Indiana basketball to be good. I love when they're good. I'm not necessarily a fan of Indiana. I really enjoyed them for the first three months of Romeo Langford before he started getting hurt all the time. Um, you know, when they beat Butler in the cross in the uh, Hoosier classic, like it was cool. But yep. other than that, yeah, like I'm not like sitting here like painting my house with like those ugly like candy stripes by any means. Oh, I love those pants. I did too. But yeah. like I just, I mean, I want them to be good. Like it's just, it, it's different when they're good. Like, yeah, it's more fun. Yeah. So let's go to real quick. Let's talk about, um, oh my God, Nick Cronin's in the final four. Like unreal, unreal. You once again, I pointed out yeah. last week, you said it the first episode after he got hired, he was going to do well there. Sure enough. He's done well there. I saw people tweeting. Is Mick Cronin going to leave UCLA for North Carolina? And I said, you're an idiot. 
Okay. Oh, no, 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 no. That is, no. Pause. 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 <laughs> Give me Hubert Davis over Mick Kernan. I like mm-hmm. Mick, though. I've said it from, like I said, called my shot a couple years ago. I thought he would do well there. Um, he's a good coach. He's a good X and O's coach. They controlled the tempo against Michigan. I mean, Michigan lost that game more than UCLA won it. Yeah, but they were awful. Here nor there. They just stopped attacking the rim. Um, Hunter Dickinson just really – you apply pressure to him. He had a really hard time with that game. But, yeah, just absolutely crazy. Um, the biggest thing for me over this weekend, it kind of taught me that it does not matter. Gonzaga wins. <laughs> Easy. 15-plus every game. Every game. They're unbelievable. They just hit – they pass up more wide open good shots to get a great shot. And it's a it's beautiful basketball. And I, I I find myself not being bored watching it when they're beating team. Like we do this every year. We talk ourselves into it's the, I call it the Alabama football effect. We we mm-hmm. do this every year where we talk ourselves into this team that's dominant, really good on paper, like no shit, they're gonna win it all. But when they're supposed to play a big game, we're like, you know what? I think USC's gonna give them the toughest test. And the, and like, no, it was never never in doubt. Like I said it too. You want it to be a good game. You want that. And I do think Baylor, Baylor, Gonzaga will be a good game or B- Gonzaga, Houston. Um, I really do think that'll be a good game. <sighs> Actually, I can't see Houston keeping it close. I, nope. It's, it's Baylor. Baylor's the only one I can give them a good game. And even then. And I think Gonzaga, Houston is going to give Baylor so many fits. I think, ba- I think Gonzaga beats Houston by 12, beats Baylor by eight. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, Timmy's unbelievable. Kispert is a microwave. Drew, uh, Drew, uh, Jalen Suggs is unbelievable i mean it, uh, good for them i know you hate gonzaga i'm a big mark few guy um my issue with them and it, i know it's totally not their fault is just like you know because people are like well they played a really tough non-conference this year i'm like they yeah did. they did i'm not gonna lie but like for two months they played no one for two yeah. months it was just scrimmages yeah and you know nine times out of ten with gonzaga is there'll be a one or two seed um and then it usually comes back to bite them in the ass when they're okay, when they're average. But this year, this it wouldn't have mattered. They're, if they played, they're terrific. Yeah, they would have played in the SEC, Big Ten, ACC. They might not have gone undefeated, but wouldn't have mattered. They're yeah. unbelievable. Um, I know I'm not one like I have, I'm in no place to tell someone how to spend their money by any means, but like, why can't they just get a shitty football team and go play in the Pac-12? Yeah, I, I think he. I mean, I think he's building. You know, not to be like a like talk about Carolina again, but like, I think Fuse building his own thing there. Like Dean Smith did like, he started from the ground up there, man. He was the guy at the beginning and he loves the Pacific Northwest. He's not leaving. That's why I was like, why don't we call Few for the Carolina job? Cause him and Roy are really good friends. And it's like, yeah, he's not leaving dude. Like he's not moving his family across the country to North Carolina. Yeah. He's got a rubber face. It's not going to yeah. do well. And yeah. Right. Chapel Hill. Right. So, I mean, I would love for, if you came to Carolina, I'd, I'd be <laughs> yeah. all in, but it just, he's one of the best coaches in basketball They're They just don't stop. Yeah, I and, feel like he's incredibly overqualified for where he's coaching, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Like, yeah, but now that he's getting one and done, it's over. That's yeah, not, it's not like basketball is cyclical. When it when Calipari came in, Calipari was the hot guy. UK was the hot program. Then Duke started doing it. Duke took all the flavor, and then other schools starting doing it. And now the Blue Bloods have to re-strategize and redo this and that. And then Gonzaga started getting the one and dones, and it, it's the way it goes. Like it's just you know you'll have a mix. Carolina's good. Duke's good. Carolina Kentucky's good. Gonzaga's good now. Like. They're, yeah, they're and, all fine. And it's no secret Gonzaga's getting Chet Holmgren. Like, it's, it's not oh, like yeah. it's, it's not like and it's Wal- like. And Walker Kessler. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew Namehart's been good for them, too. Like. Yeah. Julian Strother on the bench. Four-star kid. Yeah, they're good. Tough. Hunter Salas coming in next year. Five-star guard. So, I text Tough. you. I text you after they won on Monday night, on Tuesday night. And I said, 
why is that the spread? The spread right now is Gonzaga, is Gonzaga's minus 14 against UCLA. And I understand UCLA is in the final four, but like you said, like they held Michigan to 49 points and that's great. But look how Michigan shot that game. Like Gonzaga is not going to do that. This is yeah. the, like, I feel like the spread is too low for a 14 point spread saying that like that's saying something. Yeah. But you put it any higher, all the money's going in on UCLA, which I guess is what they want, but yeah, you got to have that middle um, just for Vegas. But I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not betting it just because that's too high of a game for the final four, but I'm not, I, you can lay any number. I told, you know, I was talking to Sarah and I was like financially responsible, but I told her, I was like, I'm going to like, if Monday night, the national championship spread is less than five. I was like, it would, it would be, uh, yeah, it would take a lot out of me not to go, go from, go from where I work to Lawrenceburg and put a healthy, healthy wager on Gonzaga minus whatever yeah. it is because they're going to win by name your number but one of those things um yeah I'm excited I mean it I also one of my co-workers was like this is the most anticipated final four in a long time and I was like what huh he's like yeah and he's like well Gonzaga Baylor is the matchup everybody wanted I'm like I know that but like of all time I was like uh, like Villanova Carolina were in the final four together Kansas Kentucky Louisville were in the final four together like Villanova Michigan Loyola like pump the brakes dude like yeah. just relax like it's it's it'll be one of the least watched but like it'll be a good game but like gonzaga baylor doesn't move the needle for anybody who was yeah. gonzaga duke gonzaga kentucky gonzaga carolina yes but for sure gonzaga, gonzaga houston baylor and ucla which ucla will give use but i think we should pump the brakes on most anticipated it'll be a good game but yeah here's the other thing i want to talk about this real quick just because like look so i cover both teams i'm really not allowed to kind of say a lot um but right now, there's this thing going on with UC fans being University mm-hmm. of Cincinnati. They're, like, tweeting, like, how about Mick Cronin getting to the Final Four before Xavier did? And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, okay, I understand you're just trying to find some pettiness in the crosstown rivalry, and I'm cool with that. Yeah. Like, I love, like, when you guys go back and forth. I think it's funny. Um, but, like, that's the dumbest take I've heard of it all because, like, if we're going to play that game, then look at Thad Mott at Ohio State when he, one, knocked out UC in the tournament. Yep. Two played in two final fours and a national championship. Before. So that works. Yeah. So it's like yeah. you didn't do any research. You're lazy and you just want to be like, I hate Xavier. Ha ha ha. And that's fine. Right. But just like let, realize that like you could do better. Like your shit talking could be much better than just like, I'm sure Xavier fans are happy Mick Cronin got to the final four and they haven't even been to one. I'm like, I mean, yeah, right. It's just okay, whatever. Right. It's the <laughs> laziness. It's the, it's no that, one cares. But, like, yeah. Um, Good for Mick, though. I mean, mm-hmm. something to build on. It's a nice stepping stone for the program. Gives them a lot of blanket security that, you know, the coaches haven't. Because that's the problem with UCLA is that, A, it's a hard job because it's revitalized a program that's been dead for a while. But, B, like, they don't give their guys a leash at all, man. They're, they're, they're quick with it. And that Final Four will help him. And they'll be really good next year. Um, I think really good next year with the class they have coming in, plus the returning kids. Chu Zhang's been a lot of fun to watch. Plus they're um, going to be a Jordan School next year. Yeah, I love all the people that are giving UK fans crap. Like, Juzang moved home because of the pandemic, man. Like, yeah, get over it. Find a new one. He didn't run them all. It's not the Charles Matthews situation where he didn't play them. Like, Juzang played, and he went home for the pandemic and wanted to go to school in L.A. where he's from. Yeah. It ain't that hard to figure out. Like, so. Yeah, so it's been really funny for me. So, my dad and my cousin are big UK guys. My other cousin's a big UC guy, and they're brothers. Okay. So like watching them debate what's worse, Johnny Juicing or Mick Cronin being in the final four has been a blast for me. Oh, yeah. I've loved all of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, UC fans can't be mad at anybody but themselves. You yeah. ran Cronin out. Like yeah, the way yeah. it goes. You guys lost into that and you said you're done. That and then like 
didn't they like didn't he get an offer from UCLA and they didn't match it? That's what it was, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I mean, they, I think he wanted to stay. I mean, not to mention like that AD uh, Mike Bond is now at USC. Like you, you guys let him walk too. Like yeah, oh the new AD at Cincinnati. Oof. Oof. <laughs> what yeah. a day. Yeah, what a, a couple weeks. One. So should, should we touch on that? Is that a, is that a story worth talking about? Not yet. I okay. mean, it's a disaster. But um, yeah. if you're if you're in the area and you're a UC fan, you know what's going on. Basically, Brandon's trying to get rid of Brandon with probable cause. They did an internal investigation. Nothing was found. Now they hired an outside firm to do an investigation. Nothing's going to be found. They just don't want to pay the buyout of $4.5 million, especially when the school just cut the soccer program and a bunch of other stuff. So we'll, have to, we'll report back on it. My gut is that he will be not the head coach next year. I think there'll be a buyout. I agree. I completely yep. agree. All right, so let's kind of just real quick, we'll touch on the Final Four. Um, so I do kind of plan on us so t- on the title game, maybe Monday night if you want. We can just do a quick, like, recap show. Yep. Um, I know the game will probably be over, like, midnight, but yep. I'll be drinking my um, my newfound love of Truly. Oh, yeah. Mm, Which yeah. flavor is that? That's strawberry lemonade. lemonade. Yeah, good, good stuff. My fiance and I were like, let's try something new. Because, you know, we're trying to, like, cut weight for our wedding, but we still <laughs> like a little alcohol, just not terrible yeah. too much. and. So we're like, let's try this out. And I was like, oh. Yeah, the seltzer good. waters, they're big this year. Yeah, it's a thing. Everybody's got one, so. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, I do think, so Ken Palm right now, the spread's 14 and a half. Ken Palm has Gonzaga winning 83 to 71. I just have a hard time believing UCLA is going to score 71 points. Um. I just think Gonzaga's too long, too fast, too good, too athletic, yep. too smart. There's just too much. It's just, it feels like this is the first time they're really outmatched. Great, I thought they'd be outmatched. I know this is coulda, woulda, shoulda. I feel like if Isaiah Livers is here, they give Gonzaga fits. Oh, yeah. Because they win that game, and that's a really tough matchup. But without him, you could see, like, how much that really hurt Michigan. Yep. Um, so, I think you, I think Gonzaga wins. I'm thinking more, like, 74 to, like, 57. Like, I'm thinking it's going to be, like, a boat race. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't see them scoring 80s. I think Mick's good enough defensively, or UCLA is good enough defensively that they can kind of alter some shots a little bit. But yeah, no, I don't think it's close. I think it's a 16 to 18 point game. Yeah, exactly. And then on the other end, I think this game's awesome. I think this is going to be a really good game. Houston uh, plus five feels like a lot. It does. Yeah. And like, I could see it being like a two point game. Mm-hmm. Um, Kelvin Sampson obviously like has really like revitalized himself from all the Indiana scandal, as we've seen. Um, they've been really good. The skill sets there. Um, this, they play so hard. Like they just give you everything on every possession. And we saw them run through, you know, I know the Americans, not exactly the PAC 12 or that's, that's terrible because the PAC 12 is not very good either. I guess it was this year. Um, the tournament, they were pretty good. <laughs> yeah. They were better than the big 10. Um, yep. But I think that's a really close game. Um, I do think Baylor wins, but I'm like Ken Palm has an 82 81. I yep. think this is like a 84 80 kind of game because I think both teams score so well. Yep. And they leave a little bit to be desired on defense. I'm not saying they're terrible. Right. But yeah, I think like I think Baylor was going to win this one. It's going to be a really a close game. I think, but if you like are here and we're talking about a Houston Gonzaga final, I am in no way, shape, or form surprised. Right. No, I'm with you. I think Baylor cut it out. I think it'll be like a three or four point win for them. Um, and then I'll, that'll lead us up to Monday night with uh, Gonzaga, Gonzaga Baylor. Um, I still think Gonzaga wins handily over either one of those guys, but mm-hmm. it'll be a pretty anticipated game that we'll be excited to watch. So, yeah. And then, of course, 
we both believe Gonzaga wins the title. Yep. How do we count this? I mean, we call it a perfect season, right? I know it was sort of during a pandemic. It's I know perfect they were season, like, no it's perfect season, no asterisk. Yep, they won 35 games. Usually there's they 38 games it. a season, right? Yeah, they earned it. Like, I get they didn't get to play Baylor early in the year. This is their chance to do it if we if everything goes the way it's supposed to. So, so be it. Yep. Yeah. All right, guys, so we're going to take a quick pause. Uh, when we come back, we'll be talking with NBA draft hopeful and I guess former West Virginia Mountaineer Sean McNeil, kind of talk about like the process of getting ready for the draft. He's going to tell us a little bit about what life was like at the NCAA tournament in Indianapolis and kind of talk about the fact that they're the only team in the country that played both Baylor and West Virginia, I mean, a Baylor and Gonzaga. So get us thoughts on those two teams as well. So we will be right back, folks. All right, so I think Taylor has recovered now from the North Carolina Royals retirement talk. Are you okay? Are you ready to move on with the show? Yeah, I'm good. Until next right. week and we hire whoever. I'll probably be emotionally drained, but it's all right. <laughs> so we are joined now by NBA draft hopeful, uh, West Virginia Mountaineer, Sean McNeil. Sean, welcome to the show. I know we've talked about having you on like for a while, so it's cool to have you. How you doing, man? I'm good. Great to be here. Appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, for sure. So obviously we'll touch on the season you guys just had. Um, I know it didn't end the way you wanted to, but you get a three seed in the tournament. You get to go to Indy after a year of not having a tournament. Um, I know it was a wild experience there. You guys get a really good first round winning against Forehead State. If you can reflect on this last year with West Virginia, what do you what do you kind of take away from that year? Oh, it was wild uh, with everything with COVID. Um, I mean, it was crazy too because the coaches and stuff. I mean, we obviously try to stay as you know a small circle as possible, so we weren't really going out. Um, I mean, even to eat, restaurants, stuff like that. Um, it was real limited. Um, so just, I mean, besides going to the tournament and things like that, it was real, you know, close knit. Um, try to stay you know, as secluded as we possibly could. And then going to the tournament, the bubble was, um, they did a really good job. I mean, it sucked, um, obviously not getting to experience, you know, a real tournament and things like that. But what they did there in Indy was, was really neat um, to experience it firsthand. Um, the bubble itself, so there was four hotels that were all connected to the convention center. And then in the convention center, you had weight rooms, obviously that people saw um, online. And then there was probably like 10 to 15 courts spread out throughout there. Um, for practice and stuff like that um, so we couldn't even leave the we couldn't go anywhere besides you walk obviously over to the convention center and then wherever you played you would bust there um, but I mean they did a good job food wise um, bring it up to our door and couldn't leave your floor um, when you're in the hotel but other than that I mean it was I mean obviously not your normal tournament experience but just super super happy and excited I got to experience some sort of a tournament Right. I mean, we were, we were, you know, obviously I ended up going up to watch you guys play Moorhead State and whatnot. And it was um, with your brother and whatnot. And it was a lot of fun just because like it felt that was the first time that since I guess the pandemic's happened, I felt like I was at an area where like multiple sports fans, it felt like it was somewhat normal because like the bars were packed where we were going to and walking in the arena, even though there was like a, um, you know, restriction on how many tickets people could have and how many people were at each game. It did feel like the crowd was into it for pretty much every game um, from our screen. But so what was the, what was the process like the, the first two days when you guys arrived there? Did you get their selection Sunday? And then it was just strictly like, you're not allowed to do anything just to kind of give our listeners what's going on. Right. Yeah. So we got there, we watched the selection show on Sunday, obviously at our place. Um, and then we got on a plane that Monday. Um, I think at like one flew there and then we couldn't leave. I mean, we tested when we got there and then tested again the next day, but for 48 hours, we couldn't leave our hotel room. So that's wild. You got two negative tests. You could not leave your hotel room besides going down and tests and they were dropping, I mean, knock on your door, drop food off, pick it up right in front of your door, go back in and eat. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, they were really strict about, I mean, even like some of our guys were like making TikToks and stuff after yeah. the 48 hours, like with no mat, we were on our floor. 
Um, so it's just us, but they didn't have a mask on and stuff. And they were like, no, you got to take that down, blah, blah, blah. So they were really strict about the mask, but um, I mean, just lucky we got to have a tournament in general. Right. And I mean, honestly, the, the only hiccup, which is pretty surprising from like on the outside looking in is the VCU Oregon game. Oh, and that was the only, only game that didn't happen throughout the whole tournament. And, you know, right. we're lucky enough to have it, you know, didn't end up affecting a team that, you know, could have been higher seed or what, like all that nonsense. Um, but yeah, so kind of, I mean, luckily you guys were lucky enough where, I mean, because every team in the tournament stayed in those four hotels, right? So if they played at Purdue and they played at IU, like they bust to those arenas, right? An hour and a half, yeah. So yeah, you guys were lucky enough <laughs> to play at what? Lucas Oil and, and uh, Banker's Life? Banker's Life, yeah, which we're yeah. about five minutes away. Each. Right. So um, yeah, I mean, we'll kind of touch on one of the games. Obviously, the Moorhead State game played pretty well. Guys, guys played well as, overall as a team. Um, and then Syracuse game, which was probably one of the most exciting games of that opening second round. Um just ran into a buzzsaw with Buddy. Um, talk, tell me, I mean, obviously you played lights out. With, you know, obviously you and Buddy were trading buckets back to back. Kind of just fun. let me know, like, kind of what were you – looking back on it now, have you had time to reflect on it, just kind of like how exciting and how, like, unique of a situation that was compared to, you know, where you were at a couple years ago at Sinclair um, yeah. to kind of where you're at full circle now? Yeah, the first couple of days – I not really a couple of days. First day after, I didn't even – I don't think I watched a game of basketball. Right. But – no, being in that, I mean, it's every kid's dream to to be in the NCAA tournament and experience, you know, what I got to go through. So being able to reflect now a week or two later, whatever it's been, um, super cool. I mean, especially to play in an environment as unique as this year was. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it sucks. It is what it was. But um, just to play this special year um, and, you know, be able to play you know, the way I did and stuff like that obviously sucks we didn't win. But, yeah, I mean, Syracuse game in itself, the zone was – it took me, like, 10 minutes to even process because you I mean right. obviously playing Syracuse you hear about their zone you know your whole life blah 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 and then you get in there and I'm like where do I go like who do I throw with them? It was, right. they were that long they were that like they take they space things out so much um and we obviously looked extremely confused for the first 10 minutes of the game <laughs> but after that um second half we obviously made a run and ended up taking the lead there for a minute but all in all it sucks we lost but the experience definitely I'll hold on to for a lifetime right so I talked to, you know, I do want to kind of get into that game, obviously, but kind of talking about just the preparation of like life in the like of the NCAA tournament. So especially like, you know, you guys unfortunately do lose in the second round, but what is that prep like for you guys? Because I had buddies who told me about like when they were in the tournament, they would win round one and it was like, they'd get back to the hotel room and immediately they're going through like scouting and like looking at like, you know, scouting reports for the other team that they're yeah. getting ready to face. So for you guys... You, know, you come off Moorhead State, who won the OVC, had a great year, obviously. And then, like you said, like that's, that matchup zone they play is so hard to figure out. And you, like you said, you guys were so lost the first 10 minutes. When you guys like get back, you celebrate, like, all right, cool, we won now on the Syracuse, and you get those like paperwork. Like, what was that first like few minutes of looking at the scouting report like for you guys? Yeah, it was extreme. Um, so we played a, a super late game, Moorhead, because um, even the game we played at Lucas Oil in the game before ours on the other court went into overtime. So we didn't even start that game probably till. 1030. 20, 1030. Yeah. yeah. So we like, were in the locker room in there. I mean, we were obviously celebrating the locker room and things like that. But as soon as we kind of left the locker room, um, it was kind of like, okay, next game. I mean, on to the next one. Who's next? Um, and then we got back to the room that night. We didn't do anything besides shower and go to bed. But that next morning at breakfast at nine or whatever it was, 930, um, we were watching film. We ate and started watching film on them at 10, 10, 15. Um, so really quick turnaround, um, kind of compared to the state tournament a little bit, Taylor, you know, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, just, and it's obviously tough to, to I mean, we've got to practice too, cause we had a day in between, 
Um, but just trying to simulate that zone and what they do, there's just certain things that you can't um, simulate and, and try to mock. Um, just really tough to do. So from your experience and kind of like obviously where you've played, would you say that what they do is more of like a standard like two, three-ish, or do you think it's more of like a superior like matchup zone where they look for every like possible hole they can fill for you on defense? Yeah. Um, Matt, I didn't really see as much matchup. They just extended so far. Um, their, their bottom guys, their forwards in the zone are like almost out to the three-point line. Right. Their guards are kind of more free throw line. I mean, parallel with the free throw line, but they're almost extended out to like the three-point line and their hands are always active and, and up. And so they look, I mean, they were long to begin with, but with, I mean, their length and stuff, it just looked like there was nowhere to go, nowhere to throw it. Um, but you go back now and you see film where you could, you know, I could have drove it here or passed it here and stuff like that. It's just how it works. But their zone is some people, some people on the team say it wasn't that great. Um, I mean, obviously a lot of us on the floor didn't know what the, what the hell to do. So <laughs> So also, I kind of want to ask this because when the selection Sunday bracket comes out and I see the region you guys are playing, you know, Illinois is the one, Houston's the two, who's now in the final four, obviously you guys are the three. Did you feel like you guys had the most loaded region? Cause I feel like your guys' region was insane for that selection Sunday. It was loaded, but I think that a lot of us were excited about our, uh, about our draw. <coughs> um, yeah. I mean, obviously we didn't expect Illinois to go down the way they did. Um, and then, I mean, our, our draw, the way we had it, um, there was obviously a lot of talent within our region, but our, our lower half of the draw, lower half of the bracket, um, we were super excited. Obviously knew we would have to face a tough Syracuse team in the second round, more than likely. They always just make a run. San Diego State's really good, but Syracuse just in March is a different team. And then obviously playing Houston, we thought that we were, you know, matchup wise really good, but right. obviously just didn't turn out, you know, in our favor. So, yeah, kind of like what he said, it, it's funny that, you know, obviously we talk about your guys' region being one of the most loaded, but then Houston beats a 15, a 10, right. an 11, and a 12 seed to get the Final Four. Right. It just shows how crazy it is. But in some other regions, obviously, it went pretty chalk, and it's kind of unique that, you know, you playing in the Big 12, which I think was the best conference all year. Like, the Big 10 got all the accolades and stuff, but I think wire to wire, the, the Big 12 produced the best teams. You know, Texas didn't have a great showing in the tournament. Um, Texas Tech didn't either. But you guys in Baylor and Kansas, you know, it, throughout the whole year were dominant um, in the Big 12. But the way I look at it, you guys are you, one of the unique teams that played Gonzaga early in the year. Um, and then you also played Baylor twice this year, or only once, right? Once, yeah. Yeah, because the other one got canceled. I forgot about that one. But so is do you think, you know, obviously being in that situation, do you, do you give an edge to a particular team and that if, you know, both of them were to make it to the final national championship or do you think it's, you know, do you have an outlook on maybe who you think could win it all? Right. Um, looking at it now, I mean, obviously, I I think it goes, I mean, Gonzaga and Baylor, but I mean, we lost to Gonzaga by five. We're the only team that lost to them within 10 points. <laughs> um, and then Baylor, the one time we played them was at home. Um, they were on, they just came back from, from being on pause, but they were playing better. I mean, the first game they played, they lost, lost at Kansas, right? Yeah. And they barely beat like an Iowa state team. Right. Yeah. And then, so by by that time they had a couple games under their belt. Um, they shot the ball extremely better. I mean, from what they were the first two games after pause, played them at home. We take them to overtime, lose that one. Um, but I mean, Gonzaga, same way. I mean, we played both of them. Obviously I think I'd like Baylor to come out on top just because they're in our, in the big right. Um, and stuff like that. I know a couple Maceo on the team being from Cincinnati, uh, right. want them to do well. So, yeah, I think they're, I think they're one of the teams. Um, I mean, obviously it's been talked about since December. They're one of the teams that can match up well with them, but the, uh, their guards are just explosive. Teague's been awesome. Jared Butler's been awesome. 
Um, you know, Mark Vidal is a guy that I don't know, you know, how you prepare for him because he right. looks like a video game character. He's just massive, <laughs> like just traps on traps. Um, yeah, I mean, and also, I mean, you're lucky enough to play against Gonzaga. I mean, the game, didn't you get busted open in that game? Like, yeah, five minutes right in the game. yeah, that was raw. I remember watching on like cracking up, but I mean, yeah. yeah, you got to see just how good they were with Jalen Suggs and Timmy right. and Kispert, who's just Kispert's lights out when he gets going. Um, I mean, it's one of, you know, a lot of people were saying it's an underwhelming Final Four, and, you know, maybe that's just because of the names of the programs that are in the um, that are in there. But I think the level of basketball that will be played in the championship will be um, really fun to watch. I'm probably still leaning uh, probably still leaning against Aga, but I wouldn't be shocked with Baylor. That's kind of who I'm rooting for, too. Um, so, yeah, kind of, I mean, one of the like, other things I was talking about is obviously, like, you know, it's kind of a funny question is you hear all these NBA players, like whether it's like Steven Jackson's podcast, all these people like, when was the, like, they always ask these NBA players, who was the first guy to like break you off or who was the first guy to like kind of make humble you and make you realize that. Did you have a moment within the last couple of years that you were like a, a guy you were guarding or a game that you remember playing in that you were like, ah, this is a lot, <laughs> this is a little bit bigger than what maybe I'm ready for. So it's always yeah. kind of funny to get people's opinions on it. So. Right. Uh, Jared Butler at home um, when they kind of mm-hmm. started, cause they didn't shoot it well the first two games after. And then obviously they come out and, and shoot it better they didn't shoot it how they normally do but they shot it better against us um jared butler came down i'll never forget in transition just kind of sizing me up took a couple dribbles down to the right wing and he hit a three i mean i was content i was there i contested but he had another one i think somebody just hit another one before that might have been him um and i said something not to him just in general because i was (laughs) frustrated and then he just started i think we called a timeout or something right after because they went on a run and then he just looked at me. He said, I know, I know. And I'm like, I'm like All right. yeah, you got it, bud. You're you're probably going to get drafted here first round. You're pretty good. Yeah. But to be fair, I think you had a couple moments like that in the Syracuse game, then at Texas Tech, and then even the Baylor game. I think you had you had a couple moments where you were putting people in their eyes. So it yeah. all comes full circle. So maybe, yeah. you know, he, he, you gave him a couple buckets. So, you know, it's, it kind of all works out. So what was scouting like for Cade Cunningham, your Oklahoma State games? I feel like, you know, he's going to be the top pick in the draft. So it seems like cons- almost consensusly is what it feels like at this point already. But yeah. like prepping for him, you know, playing the fact that you guys in the same conference. Like when you watch the scouting report on him, what jumped out to you the most? Cade is probably one, if not the most talented player I've ever played against. Um, he's six, a legit six, seven, um, can handle it, can shoot it, um, can pass, um, do anything that you really ask him to do. Um, so he's a guy that's extremely, I mean, he's not tough to scout, um, uh, just because he's not freaky athletic. He's not super quick. Um, but at the same time, I mean, he's six, seven, he knows how to use his body so well. Um, and he's been playing the basketball. I mean, he's been playing the game for a long time. Um, just to think that he's a freshman, um, doing what he's doing, averaging, I don't even know, 20 and 20 and six, I'd assume something yeah. like something crazy. Um, but all my, yeah, he is the real probably the best player I've ever played against. Yeah, because when we do, you know, Taylor and I get ready for the draft. We'll do our own board for the show. And, like, what I think my comparison to Cade was, like, and, you know, for me, it's a lot because he's my favorite player ever. But it's, like, he's got the size and the passing ability. No, no, no. The person I'm comparing him to. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) I felt like he was, like, like you know, the size and passing ability of, like, a Penny Hardaway is, like, what I watched. He's, like, almost our generation's Penny, just not as athletic as Penny was. So, it was, like. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so kind of speaking on obviously year ends, um, you made your announcement a couple of days after, um, after the tournament ends that, you know, you're going to test the waters with keeping the option open to coming back to college. Well, what's that, you know, 
obviously being from where you were at, I don't know, most of our listeners are probably going to know your backstory just because a lot of people from the area, um, you know, you go from, you go to Bellarmine, you come home, you go to Sinclair, and then, you know, opens up the opportunity to go to West Virginia where you kind of flourish in that limelight. Um, so kind of, you know, talk to me like where, you're, you know, the decision to test the waters and stuff like that, kind of, you know, how excited you are, you know, just how surreal like the moment's been for you and, and like the feedback you've gotten from whether it be family and friends or people at the university and stuff like that, just kind of the overall take on it. Yeah, so I was uh, sitting in, actually, we were in the elevator at the tournament after we played Moorhead, and our GA, Juan uh, Staten, he was, he asked me on our way down, we were going down to Team Meal or whatever it was, and he was like, uh, so what's your plan after after the season? And I was like, well, I'll come back in, you know, June and go through summer workouts and, you know, prepare for next year. And he was like, well, you haven't thought about putting your name into the draft. And I was like, no, I haven't really thought much about it, blah, blah, blah. And then that was kind of it for, you know, obviously I was focused on the tournament and, right. and whatnot, but the more I thought about it, um, I thought that it probably could be good. I mean, just with what they're allowing now rules wise. And um, I mean, why not? What could it hurt? And then um, after we lost to Syracuse, we got back and I went up to our, our coaches offices just to say what's up and check in um, just show my face. And then I went in and talked to coach Harrison uh, who's one of our guys on staff. And he said that he got a couple calls from scouts, NBA scouts about me. And he said, well, you, like he was just saying, you got your name out there. Like you're on people's radar, just, you know, keep working. And then that kind of sealed the deal for me about testing right. the waters and um, stuff like that. So I talked to my family about it that night, um, told everybody here that, you know, I was going to go ahead and test the waters and keep my eligibility open to come back. Um, and then from then it's just been a whirlwind. I uh, put it out there on social media and, um things like that and I mean I've got good feedback so far um obviously it's just waiting for phone calls and waiting for workouts and stuff like that right um to to see what's kind of next so it's kind of a waiting game waiting for the NBA season to kind of play out um obviously things they just came out with dates and stuff for the draft and things like that so kind of getting stuff squared away on that end but yeah just waiting for phone calls and, and workouts really and like a normal year, the combine, so like it's multiple days and multiple people and they kind of get in whoever really wants to test their skills. But with COVID last year, and then I think this year, obviously it'll be a little bit better, but it, it, they make their, the number of people that can apply for it obviously is down. So it's kind of interesting to see just kind of how that all plays out so far. Yeah, yeah. So, Sean, um, you know, like I said, we have a pretty decent audience as far as like the country. And I think one of the things I really want to touch on that a lot of people who are outside our area might not know about you is um, – that your high school being Cooper high school is loaded with athletes. So we're seeing playing division one right now. Yeah. Um, obviously Adam Kunkel over at Xavier now, uh, Braden Runyon, who I knew a little bit is playing baseball, at Texas tech. Can you kind of talk about like, what is Dante. in the water over there? What's in the water of Cooper? What are you guys doing over there? <laughs> they got another one, Dante. He's a uh, Dante Hendricks. I can't not shout him out. He's at what Indiana state. Yeah. Indiana. Yeah. Yeah, he, uh, starting their their number one receiver. Yeah, yeah and then Chris McNeil, he's a good athlete. I'll give Chris yeah. some shout out. Thank yeah, Thank yeah, we'll give Chris some. So that's funny though. Yeah, no, I mean my um, my senior class, obviously me, Dante, and uh, Daniel Wasser, who was, um, I mean, I can say it now since we both we actually just talked about it last night with him. If he looked the way he did now, his senior year of high school, I'd have a ring on my finger. Right. Um, so the time that he has put in, uh, he, he looks really good now. Dante obviously is a freak athlete, um, showed that in high school, but now he's put on some weight at Indiana State. Um, he's their top receiver. Uh, don't be surprised if you see him sneak into the league here in the next year or two. Um, Adam, obviously, at what he did at Belmont, now he's at Xavier. Um, I don't, I didn't really watch a whole lot of Xavier basketball this year, but obviously kept up with his stats and what he was doing. Um, watch out for him next year. 
Um, he's got a year under his belt at this level. And then Braden, obviously, Braden has probably put in more time than anybody in the in the sport world, baseball world, than I've seen. Um, so he'll, he'll flourish at Texas Tech. I have to, like, further on the Adam thing because I, I cover Xavier, so I have a lot of Xavier fans that follow me. And, of course, you know, <laughs> when a guy's not doing well, it's like the sky's falling with them. So like Adam yeah. shot 29% from three right. and you made the point that I wanted to make there. You know, he's got, it's, it's, you know, the first year playing at that level, right. we all saw him in high school when he was just jamming on people pretty hard. So like, yeah. can you please tell the Xavier fans here, like everything's going to be okay? Yes. Relax, relax. <laughs> Thanks everybody. Um, kind of a year. Uh, I don't know. I mean, whoever follows the show who knows me uh, last year, my first year at West Virginia was not very, I think I averaged like 16 minutes a game shot, like 30, six percent from the field 33 from three so not great numbers again um but obviously just takes a year to kind of get comfortable and figure out your ins and outs and when to kind of go and get a bucket when not to and um but just really just get confidence at this level you can play at this level and just find that level of comfort so adam's gonna be fine adam is adam's a heck of a player he'll be fine i kind of want to ask you real quick about hugs because you got you know you've got a couple like a couple of years of them now Obviously, he's a legendary coach. The fact he's not in the Hall of Fame blows my mind yeah. uh, for not only what he's done at West Virginia, but Cincinnati. His one year at Kansas State was obviously fairly successful. Hence, he went to West Virginia. Right. Um, just your time playing with him, like, obviously, you know, he's coached so many. He's coached the number one overall pick. He's coached so many All-Americans and NBA players. What was What's life like for you being around hugs? And, like, what do you pick up from him? Like, even, like, a daily, weekly, monthly basis, what, like, is stuff that he kind of – his little details that he shows you just how you improve more and more. Yeah, hugs and, and how he is more so I was surprised off the floor than I was on the floor. Um, his amount of wins, his statistics basketball wise speak for themselves. And like you said, how he's not in the Hall of Fame is just absurd. But I feel like I've learned almost more from him off the floor than I have on just the type of mentality he carries himself. Um, I mean, he's kind of a, he's a blue collar guy, just kind of made his own way. Um, things like that. I've almost I, I would say I've learned more from him off the floor than I have on. Um, I, I hang out with him. Um, like after we won at Texas, um, I went up there and hung out with him for a little bit, just talk basketball, trying to pick his brain, um, things like that. Um, he's so much more of a people, people person guy than, than people really, than the media portrays him to be. Right. Um, I feel like they've done a good job lately. Cause like, I feel like the, when he first got to West Virginia and the UC, he's got this rough image about him and stuff. But now right. like you see the relationship that he has with, um, you know, Calipari and you see the relationship that he has, like even Roy Williams today and in, in his, um, in his, like his presser today was talking about how Huggins is a good friend with him. He's like very, like very well liked with one of his peers and stuff. And it kind of what you're going on and saying, just how like more than basketball, he's, he's, uh, he's got a lot to him so yeah and that's something i didn't even know going into west virginia how much of a people person he is and how much he really cares about him and his guys and i mean just the basketball world in general i mean yeah he's got life outside of basketball but obviously he is very basketball oriented right and then, does he ever talk about his playing days do they ever uh, when you guys are out there and all the time he, oh, yeah, nobody, right. <laughs> nobody could pass like him nobody could shoot like him of course yeah yeah that's how I, it goes. Uh, my funny hug story is um so melvin levitt who played for me at uc is a good buddy of mine Mm -hmm. um melvin and i just did a show a couple a couple weeks together uh not too long ago and i asked about like life with huggins like after he graduated after he wasn't playing for him anymore and he was talking about his first year coaching varsity basketball here in the cincinnati area and he's like it's like hugs he's like my team was rough he's like my team was 0 22 this year he's like we couldn't like he's like we couldn't get a bucket and he's like the only thing bob said to me was figure it out <laughs> that's all he said to him solid advice yeah so. man of many words so 
I kind of want to get your thoughts on this just because we don't get a lot of opportunities to really talk to athletes who like, you know, who are in your situation, draft hopeful um, and things like that. And, you know, obviously this isn't like anything you have to go too deep on, mm-hmm. but just kind of curious your thoughts. We're seeing this trend coming around and it's been talked about for decades in college basketball. Um, but the hashtag going around of not NCAA property, you're seeing really grow. From yeah. your experience as a Division One athlete, like, what is your thoughts when you see that? And, like, what the points the athletes are trying to make? What does that reflect on for you? I think it's really good. Um, it kind of started when I think the NCAA property, when we were in the bubble, um, it kind of started going out there and people were kind of voicing their opinion about it. Um, and I think that now what the NCAA is leaning towards doing, um, at least a lot of us hope, um, is letting, you know, kids profit off of their name and um, things like that. And uh, me personally, I just – I just think how many fans come and watch, you know, come to watch people play these kids, you know, play and um, buy, you know, merchandise that may have their name on it or whatever. And they don't see any money from it. Um, I mean, it doesn't, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I don't know what they're going to end up doing with it, but I definitely think that the whole NCAA property thing is long overdue. Right. I'm with you on that. Especially, I mean, you look at a kid like, I mean, this year, Kate Cunningham or, um, Jalen Suggs or Zion a couple years ago. I mean, the amount of jerseys that were sold at Duke with number one on it is ridiculous. And, you know, you could say that it was X amount of players before, but yeah, there's got to be a way to get these kids. I mean, you know, universities make millions off them every game, Final Four. I mean, they, they release the numbers of how much they're making every year. Um, you know, it's millions and millions and millions of dollars off the tournament. So it's one of those things that why don't they pay the players that <laughs> essentially are helping them make the money. So we asked, um, kind of one of the last things we'll hit on here we, we asked for questions out here um when we retweeted that we're having you on um it's funny tim got a question from one of your your former teammates so i'll kind of let him get into that uh-huh. yeah. so this is from a uh, chase harler um i told chase i'd make sure i got this on the show so he we would be in good good standing mm-hmm. he said um can you ask sean how much he loved me as a teammate and as a mentor but he wanted me to emphasize the term mentor mentor <laughs> uh chase gosh um, Chase kind of took me under his wing, um, when I was at West, I mean, last year being at West Virginia and his senior year, um, and things like that. I was kind of learned a lot from Chase, uh, obviously played the same position, um, same kind of, kind of player. Um, but not <laughs> mentor wise, gosh, uh, look up to Chase every day. I wake up and just think, <laughs> okay, what, what would Chase do? What would Chase do today? Um, and that's what I just kind of go for. So we'll get you out on this. We won't take too much of your time. We're, we're definitely really appreciate it. So you are, your name is in the draft. You are discussing, you know, the workouts and getting ready for things like that. Mm-hmm. When teams talk to you, what is the package you're pitching for Sean McNeil and why they should be take, consider you in the draft? Oh, uh, I think my story kind of speaks for itself. Uh, I don't think there's a guy out there that's going to work harder than I will. Um, I'm obviously not the type of guy that his name just intrigues people right away. I'm not that type of type of kid. And I understand that, but um, I don't think there's a kid out there that's going to do the dirty work, um, put in as much time as I will. Um, and on top of that, I think what I do do well is um, shoot the ball. And um, I think I'm a, I'm a good playmaker. Um, and I mean, really just kind of do whatever, whatever coaches need me to do uh, to help us win. I would say I would take you over Brad Davis for the sake that like, we know you're going to last out of these charges. We know that you'll so. get up. Yeah. <laughs> Taylor oh. agreed too. I can tell. Oh yeah, always, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> well, Sean, man, it was awesome to have you on. Thanks for kind of giving us a few minutes of your time today. Um, before we get out of here, you know, we always give our, our guests a chance to shout out their social media where people can kind of keep up with them, and follow them. So please take a moment, man. Shout out whatever you want to. Yeah, no, shout out Chase Harler. It's the only thing I got to say, Chase Harler. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be excited to know that from uh, my my two minutes of talking to him today. 
glad I got to know him. Well, this is awesome, man. We definitely appreciate it. Um, you know, hopefully we're, we're wishing the best of luck for you. We know that obviously the doors, plenty of doors are open for you. So we're for sure keeping an eye and we can't wait to see what's next. Yeah. Gotcha. Thank you. Appreciate having on. I was going to wrap up this week's edition of at large bid. Thank you all for tuning in. Have a good night and we'll be back uh, probably for our national championship reaction.